No one has a monopoly on good ideas. Oftentimes, you can find better ways of doing things or solving problems by being more exposed to others, other countries, other regions, hey, maybe even other places in your own country or region, basically other ways of thinking. Why not let the best ideas bubble up to the top to benefit yourself, your community, or your country? This week, we will explore this idea from a personal level. We'll dive right into this important subject right after this quick word from our sponsor. Hey guys, Ashley here. Are you having trouble meeting the right girl? Are you struggling due to lack of confidence, not knowing what to say? or not having a plan? Are you tired of being told to act confident around women without being told how? If so, I'd like to introduce you to the Gentleman's Guide to Flirting book from David Sharp. If you are afraid to approach women in public, this book is for you. If you aren't having success meeting women on dating websites or apps, this book is for you. If you're having trouble connecting with women on dates, this book is for you. The Gentleman's Guide to Flirting has loads of modern, field-tested, and ready-to-use examples to help you confidently approach women and meet great women either in person or online. It also has practical, real-world advice to help you truly get the most out of the dating process. And it has thoughtful, practical advice for cultivating and sustaining your relationships for the long term. It's got it all, and you're going to love it. The book's website is gentlemansguidetoflirting.com. That's gentlemansguidetoflirting.com. You can go to gentlemansguidetoflirting.com and click the Buy Now button, or just search for Gentleman's Guide to Flirting by David Sharp on Amazon.com or anywhere else you buy your favorite books or eBooks, and start changing your life now. Hello there. Welcome to episode 87 of the Gentleman's Guide to Excellence podcast. I am David, the author of the book of the same name, Gentleman's Guide to Excellence, as well as my first book, The Gentleman's Guide to Flirting, both available on Amazon.com and everywhere else you find your favorite books or ebooks worldwide. So, the subject of this week's podcast is based on my general philosophy of I like letting the best ideas win. And if I'm being honest with you, as I always try to be, far too often the best ideas for me simply don't originate in my own head. So, where do they come from for me? I love learning. One of the reasons I do love learning is because I only want facts in my head. I don't have time for it to be otherwise. Facts alongside the best possible ideas and thoughts and dreams of what is possible and what might help me make my life better and the lives of those around me that I care about the most to make those better. So one approach that I have found useful toward those ends is exposing myself to different cultures and ideas and ways of thinking through travel and also internet-based experiences to broaden my exposure as well. Now, you don't necessarily have to leave home these days to benefit from the experiences of others. That could be very costly. And as I record this now in, in early 2022, we've got the COVID-19 pandemic as a huge factor in being able to successfully travel from point A to point B around the world. But you can often do that online, benefit from the experiences of others and get tremendous value. 
Now, I am old enough to where that wasn't true my whole life. So I have spent a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and traveling around the world a lot. And I've lived in other countries as well for extended periods of time, working mainly, not leisure travel. I was working it, but you know, living on the economy. Now on the internet, you do sometimes, sometimes, well, say oftentimes, have to sift through a lot of false information and other manure to get to the facts and the pearls of wisdom out there. But like I said in the introduction, no one has a monopoly on good ideas. No one has a monopoly on good ideas. Nobody, nowhere on this planet. That is just a fact. So smart people let the best ideas bubble up to the top, in my opinion. I'm going to focus on how being exposed to other cultures and people through travel, say for example, can benefit you at a personal level, significantly, as opposed to society as a whole. That's There's, there's definitely a story, there's definitely truth to that, but for the purposes of this episode, I want to talk about the benefit to you at, at a personal level. But those two ideas can be linked, I suppose, you know, like your benefit, your what happens to you personally and how you develop and the society that you live in, the communities that you live in benefiting from those um, opportunities. So they could be linked, I guess, if enough people subscribe to doing better and being open, more open minded like you and I are. Again, I want to focus on the individual in this episode. I want to get into some specific examples from my own life experience. Example number one, the first thing that comes to mind uh, on the subject is my experience in Japan. I lived there for three years, starting when I was around 20 years old, I think it was. Well, I was, that was my first time being out of the United States and I was like super happy to be anywhere overseas. That always been a, a kind of like a dream of mine. And I bought a, a for, for use of my days off, I bought a, like a little cheap car. I was like really poor when I was in Japan working, but I bought a cheap car so I could have a little bit of mobility and take a look around, uh, around the country on my days off. I had you know, two days off. I was off Saturday and Sunday. So what I would do would be, and this probably sounds insane and really stupid, like a waste of time, but hey, I was 20 years old and I don't know. I wouldn't even have a map. I would get in my car and I would drive out, find a road, and just turn in a certain direction and just keep going straight, 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 straight for, for quite a long time until I said, until I looked around and said, well, this is interesting. I'd park my car and get out. I'll take a look around. And I saw a lot of Japan that way. Uh, it's, Japan's not a small country, but you can, if you have a car, you can get around, you know, uh, not too bad. As long as you're not in one of the super crowded cities. I lived not too far outside of Tokyo. So I could, uh, without too much trouble, get into the countryside and see all kinds of cool stuff. In fact, uh, just think about the entirety of that entire three-year experience. I owe some people major payback and thanks for all the help that I got over that time. I am very much indebted on that front because I got I got lost a lot and I need a lot of help. But that was very, that was a very intentional on my part. I wanted to get lost and I I wanted to see things I'd never seen before in my life. To the credit of the Japanese people, the typical person on the street, a lot of people helped me in my life traveling in general, but especially in Japan. When I was lost, I needed help of all types, like I said, and I'm always looking for an opportunity to try to return the favor to them or someone else because the account balance is pretty lopsided in my favor. So my first point there is in Japan, I got to see, and I was so impressed by how helpful people can be on the street. That, that's true in a lot of places. I've had people help me all over the world, but I've never seen such a high percentage of folks who were 
just ready at the drop of a hat, just like eager. They were all around you who wanted to help. They may have known some English. They could tell, I mean, obviously I was a foreigner and I was looking lost and I have no, no, no shame or not shy at all about asking for help or asking questions or anything. If I was, there's something I wanted to do, but that was the first thing I was just so impressed uh, and uh, about how people were helpful on the street. And it's something that I've incorporated in my own life. I'm also very eager to help anybody really. And it may be almost to a fault, but that's something I think I picked up when I was in my tw- like 20, 21, 22 years old in Japan. It's something I really liked. And I incorporated that, incorporated that into my personality, I guess. So I saw like lots and lots of other small things that I liked about Japanese culture doing that, like travel around, getting lost. As long as I could get back within two days and, and not miss work, I was, I was totally fine. I really liked how the Japanese respected other people and were so very polite, like genuinely polite and their dealings with others. I mean, everybody, not just people that they knew, not just bosses and stuff. It was, they were very extremely polite and considerate. And I'm like that too. I'm uh, from the South of the United States or kind of known for that already. So it's kind of easy fit, but I really liked how polite people were. And I think that leaves a trail of good feelings and respect as you make your way throughout your day. And I really think that's, that's a great idea, no matter what. I also liked how in Japan, the, the, they, they respected everyone in society respected schooling, the value of sending, sending kids to school and doing well in school and high achievement there. And they also value the teachers at all levels in particular. I really, really like that. Here in the United States, unfortunately, in my experience, and this is across the whole of the country, the whole of the United States, the whole of the country, I'm not sure teachers are respected and compensated and treated as well as they should be for the value that they provide to to society. I just don't think that's the case. This isn't a Jap- Japan-only thing. I think it's true in South Korea and a lot in many places in Asia. I've been to mainland China a few times, and once uh, I got trapped into doing a presentation in front of a private school, like this, for the students there, they've never really traveled outside of China. They wanted to bring someone in to go and like, just do a basic, ask me anything kind of thing of an, of an American. And they did, but they were so, so very, very polite in China. So it's not just a Japan only thing or South Korea thing. It's, it's something about Asian culture in many places over there where they really let they respect school, the value of it and teachers. And I, and I just love that. I also like, speaking of young children, I also, res- I also like how respectful young children are taught to be to their elders and neighbors and just people on the street. And that included me when I had driven so far out into the countryside where there were no other foreigners around for miles and maybe the children never seen uh, someone like me. They may have stared at me because I guess I looked like a monster or something, like tall, freaking monster looking thing. But they were very, 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 very nice. And I, you know, I, I really, I really liked that. I also liked how the streets and neighborhoods were kept meticulously clean, whether you were in a big city or the smallest village. I liked how the people, generally speaking, didn't throw trash on the ground and they respected the neighborhood they respected the the place they live and I, I i i like that i like that way of thinking i don't believe in throwing trash on the ground and making a mess because i think it messes with it messes with, it messes with my morality when i see a place piled high with trash and 
blight and broken windows and stuff. I don't like to see that. It makes me feel better about my community and my neighbors when everything is crisp and tight and clean. Speaking of things being clean, I liked how the trains and public transportation and taxis were kept, were, were clean and respected. People didn't abuse them. They didn't, didn't get drunk and would throw up. Didn't disrespect the drivers or anything. I liked just like all of that. So basically, you can see it was a big old love fest for my three years there in Japan. It wasn't just because I was just young and stupid and my, my, uh, it was my first time living and working overseas or traveling overseas at all. There's just so much to like there. And I think that's true of a lot of Asia. What, all the things I just said. So the next place that comes to mind, number two, is Saudi Arabia. Believe it or not, a while back, I lived and work in, worked in a, in a city in, in Saudi Arabia called Jeddah, J-E-D-D-A-H. It's a city on the west coast, on the Red Sea of Saudi Arabia. Why was I there? I was training Royal Saudi Air Force personnel. That was a whole different time in my life, and I don't do that type of work anymore, but that's part of my history, and that's why I was there. So I was there as a contractor doing that train under the Royal Saudi Air Force, the military people there. Anyway, while I was there, I was impressed by the low crime rate. Even in the bustling city centers away from Riyadh. Riyadh's the like capital of Saudi Arabia, and it's where like the top most members of the royal family live it's where the like the religious police are and as you get further away in saudi arabia there's like villages and stuff and other cities that aren't quite as locked down and rigid and conservative as Riyadh. but saudi arabia is a very strict islamic country make no mistake but in my experience that what that isn't and wasn't a bad thing now there are there can be brutal punishments for smaller crimes and that tends to that's a massive deterrent for a lot of street crime that you may uh, have a problem with in your own countries and where you live. And that's true in the United States too. It's very, very true. It's getting worse in some areas, but that's off, that's off topic. In Saudi Arabia, it is just different, but the place is loaded with good people everywhere. Very high quality people everywhere, men and women and children. And it has bitterly disappointed me to see us become like considered enemies. I'm talking about the United States versus various countries in the Middle East, due to recent terrorist attacks and all the ugliness of the wars, all the god-awfulness of that, when in my own direct experience, and I can't stop thinking about this, we should be close cultural allies. Just because they're Muslims and we're like Christians and Jews and Catholics and stuff, we're not that far apart, I swear to you, we're not, in terms of our values and what we cherish. To be clear, we aren't that far apart when it comes to like values and family. They and most people in the Middle East, in my experience, my direct experience, I lived there and worked alongside a lot of Saudis. They just want to be prosperous and happy and maybe have a family and friends and just enjoy life just like we do. It's just the context that they live in. The society's a bit different, but we're not that far apart. So there's my lesson there. Another place that springs to mind is a few different places in Europe. The one that I went to First, that impressed me was the Netherlands, Amsterdam and the Netherlands, traveling around the Netherlands, Holland. To me, traveling to the Netherlands and being an American like I was, I was still in my, I was 20 or 21 or something like that. I went there on vacation first. That was like traveling to the future is what I called it. In my opinion, like five or 10 or 20 years into the future for social matters, not because they were ahead of us in terms of technology or the economy or anything like that. It was like, how society was arranged and how to treat people like in terms from a, like a legal framework 
and what was acceptable in terms of like societal rules and personal conduct and all that. I recall them being I, a little more open, maybe a lot, well, heck, a lot more open than what I'm accustomed to about a drug use, but it was to an extent that didn't cause society to fall apart. Now, when I was traveling there in my 20s, you know, the, um, in the United States, I don't think marijuana was legal anywhere, except for, I don't even think medical use marijuana is legal either. I, I don't really know. I'm not the expert on that. It's much different, like, in recent years, but it wasn't that case then. So I was comparing my lived experience in the United States from then to the jarring transformation, warping over to Amsterdam and the Netherlands in particular, but the whole of the Netherlands, it seemed like they were, like, way ahead of us, us being Americans, by a factor of 5, 10, or 20 years, like I said. So marijuana use on the street, what I saw there shocked me, my my little you know, little innocent heart and brain was shocked by the scene, marijuana use and drug use in the open, but it didn't seem to grind Dutch culture to a halt. Similarly, prostitution didn't seem to cause a societal collapse there either, but they didn't have, you know, like Amsterdam isn't some like den of iniquity all over the city. Like prostitutions is like happening in very rigidly controlled safe where the women are protected and the crimes kept away mostly just parts of Amsterdam and in other parts of other cities and in the in the Netherlands it isn't all over the place kind of like in here in America it's uh like prostitution and the drug trade were uh very were illegal in almost everywhere so that the, the, we are not going to just because you make it illegal doesn't make it doesn't mean it goes away it just means there's like a shitload of abuse right the women are being like forced into prostitution and traffic and all that evilness that that's accompanying that that kind of goes away when you legalize it to an extent but tightly control and tax it I'm not trying to make a case whether prostitution is good or bad, but it's been with humanity for thousands of years, and I don't think it's going to go away. So if it's going to be a trade there, if it's going to be a market there, you should protect the people the, the, the people providing those services and look after the health of the customers and the providers and tax the shit out of it if you have to, to go and support, you know, to pay for the police support and all the other supporting infrastructure around it. That's just my opinion, but I'm pretty open-minded. Um, th now there were druggies near the city centers though. I did see that. It wasn't like you legalize drug use and all of a sudden you don't have any like junkies fucking stinking on the, on the, on the street or something and panhandling and all that. They did have that problem and we definitely have that problem here in America. I don't know what the solution is on that one, but I just want to go and point out in certain parts of Europe around those two points, like drug use and prostitution, Again, like I said, was like looking in the future a little bit. They seem like intelligent compromises. Maybe not everyone in those countries, like the Netherlands and Germany, where they got prostitution allowed in some cities to a large extent. I'm not. I'm sure not everybody agrees with that. Like the conservatives, conservative types might not agree with that. But it seems like a very reasonable compromise when you know you cannot totally eliminate the trade, and you got to provide for it in some kind of way that's fair to all the parties involved. All right, anyway, that was number two. I'm trying to think of any more examples from my travels in Europe. One thing that stands out, I'm just going to group some countries together here. Sweden, uh, Denmark, and Northern Europe in general, I was interested in the social programs. Like you hear a lot about socialism and the good points and bad points of that, depending on 
where you fall on a political spectrum. But that was a good place to go see how some things worked in practice. And the things that stood out to me were the social programs seemed to be healthy, at least in those countries like Sweden and Denmark. They seemed to be. I didn't live I didn't live there, I just visited there, but I paid very careful attention. And I also liked that they they seemed to be kind of proud as a people that like the cashier, like ringing you up in the grocery store or selling you a coffee or like a pastry or something. They made the actual living wage. Like at the time I was there, I would say they would make like 20, 25 or 30,000 US dollars. It's not a lot of money, especially when you live in an expensive ass place like Copenhagen, Denmark or anywhere in Sweden. Uh, but they found a way to go and get by and at least they're not living like in abject poverty. Now the downside of that, it was very common to hear about like the crushingly heavy taxation of the population to support all the social programs and to make sure everyone was living some kind of, you know, at some acceptable level. So it was a big trade off there, but it was interesting to go and see how that works out because, you know, like I said, you know, like a point of this, um, episode is a lot of places that you travel to have figured out some things maybe better than where, where, what you have at home. Like I'm an American. We definitely got a lot of, a lot of ways to improve. So it's interesting to go look at these different places. Again, speaking, uh, thinking about Europe, when I first traveled to England, London in particular, um, I, I wasn't married, so I was on my just do whatever the fuck I wanted kind of, kind of travel trips, travel plans. I'm married now. I got to do what she wants. She doesn't want to do this shit. She would hate this, but I would, I would get on the subway in London and I would just get off at random stations. I would just buy a ticket to someplace and I would just like look as we were going, you know, stop by stop by stop. And if I saw a name I recognized from something, a movie or whatever, or just sound, something that sounded interesting, I would just get to get off the train and go out and I'd just go spend half a day there. I had plenty of time. I, you know, I think when I was over, I had like a month off from working. So I had plenty of time to go goof off. And I learned a lot that way. It's the same way like I did in Japan, just driving out in the countryside. This time I wasn't going around the countryside in England or Scotland or anywhere. I was in London because it's a big place and I'd always wanted to go and I wanted to see a lot. But not only do I want to see, like, the take the dutiful plot through the normal tourist sites just because I want to see them. But I also wanted to see how the normal Londoner lived in different parts of the city. So that's what I wanted to do there. And there's a lot, there's a lot there. Think about in general across all of Europe. Uh, I just want to note that you can see some very, especially these days, like now, you can see some very creative and helpful uses of technology across the world, but in particular in Europe and in the more developed countries in Asia, like Japan and South Korea. Another thing I noticed, especially in Europe, is, uh, sorry to say this, but I love food. Finding new food and ways of thinking that may benefit you in general. But the, on the food point, one thing that, that, uh, as I was pondering what to talk about in this podcast, I remember one day I was like walking around Amsterdam. I was hungry and there's like all kinds of street food and stuff to eat, but I ordered some French fries because I was just hungry. I didn't, I don't know. But they gave me some French fries and like a cone and they put a bunch of fucking mayonnaise on it. And I thought that sounded gross. You know, having my cone of french fries just drenched in man, mayonnaise there on the street. But it turned out it was great. I tried it and it was great. Also, I learned, that's where I learned that I loved, uh, shawarma. I call it street meat, but I love shawarma. Yeah, that's where you get the big, 
like spool of meat on a, on a, on a spindle cooking and they scrape some off into the plate and maybe give you some french fries or some mayonnaise on it, baby. And you chow down on that. Anyway, you can try all kinds of different food. I've learned all kinds of stuff that, that I liked in Italy and France and just all kinds of good, um, experiences there. And you don't have to go spend a ton of money to do that either. I learned a lot more about food when I, after I got married, I, I had to go take my wife back through the same places in Europe and Asia that I'd already been because she wanted to go travel everywhere. So I've pretty much been everywhere twice before that reason. And, but when I travel with somebody else, I could go, go into restaurants, you know, not by myself, you know, at least I have somebody with me and I can go have a much better experience there. So, uh, I know this is this, this episode was supposed to be focused on, and it is focused on like benefiting you personally, but I do want to point out that some places do better with voting in elections than we do here in the United States. And I'm not trying to have a U.S. focus here, but that's where I live. But there's some places that do, do, do better with voting and how they handle politics than we do as Americans. We kind of are failing at that. So maybe we can just take a look at who's got the best solution there. Just like in the, you know, just follow the general philosophy that I'm espousing in this episode, like letting the best ideas bubble to the top, right? So in general, all over the world, I have come to believe people are basically good. That is probably the biggest lesson I've learned is there is no, I bet you if I was in North Korea, I could find a reason to like North Korean people, like, like 90% of them. I, that's just my experience. No matter where I go in the world, I, I believe the vast majority of people are good. Now, there are some chunk of them that are criminals and pieces of shit, just like here in the United States. And I'm sure it's a situation in your, in your country too. Not everybody's good, but a lot of people are. And it doesn't matter the religion they have. It doesn't matter the ethnicity. The people just want to be happy. They want to be safe. They want their families to be safe and prosperous. And maybe they want to have a family and children just like you and me, just like we do. And again, sure, there are bad people all over, but there are a heck of a lot of good people all around us, all over the world, all the time. And I really recommend investing some time learning on what they have to teach to make benefit you for your situation. I speak to speaking for myself. I certainly have benefited from some of those lessons, and I'm sure a lot of that has crept into the podcast episodes I put out and my books. And I can tell you my learning journey continues every single day. All right, that's all I have for you today. Let's get after it out there, and I'll see you next week.